Hello, dear listeners. You are on the podcast Research Lives and Cultures. I'm Sandrine Soub, and I'm sharing with you a series of very short interviews with academics. These interviews were recorded a few years ago, so people will have progressed in their career. Many of them will maybe have been research fellows or just lectures when we interviewed them. And since these interviews took place, maybe they've already been promoted to being professors. Maybe they've changed institution. Maybe they have switched career. Who knows? Just giving you a little glimpse of the career at a point in time of these individuals who are sharing some wisdom, some insights, some key learnings that they've had during their research career. I hope that you enjoy these short interviews that were done, as I've said, several years ago. Still lots of insight to gain, lots of uh, interesting ideas that you may acquire from listening to these interviews. I hope you enjoy them. So my name's Jim Thomas. I'm a professor in bio and organic chemistry. Um, one of the reasons I became a scientist, uh, when I was a kid, I had three ambitions. Uh, the first was to be uh, a member of the Beatles because I was born in the 1960s and that was already taken. So it was going to happen. My second ambition was to be an astronaut and then close. Unfortunately, at that period, the uh, trips to the moon were being closed down. So my third choice was to be a scientist, uh, I guess from inspired by my dad, who used to do a lot of talking about science and things like this. I did chemistry at uh, the University of Reading. Um, to be honest, uh, I had a better social education than uh, academic education. Um, and I left the uh, university with not the best degree, to be honest. But I wasn't too worried because um, I wanted to do teacher's training because I was very keen to do voluntary services overseas. And uh, VSO required you to, to be you know, a qualified teacher with some experience. So I went on, taught for a couple of years in the UK and then applied to VSO and went off to Western Kenya, close to the Ugandan border. So being uh, in a community school in rural Africa focuses your mind. Uh, people have uh, literally no shoes, there's no water, no electricity. So it really focuses your mind on the opportunities that you you do have available to you in in the Western uh, world. And I, I realised, you know, in that with that perspective, that I'd really like to go back to my original childhood ambition to become a research scientist. So when I came back from Kenya, I, I went on to one year course called the uh, Graduate of the Royal Society of Chemistry. Um, which, you know, if you do well on it, is equivalent to getting the first. So that allowed me to be uh, get funding for a PhD then. Um, and I started a PhD in, in Birmingham. Um, and that was slightly intimidating because um, obviously I'd been away for seven years or so from, from any sort of uh, academic pursuit. And there were a lot of students who were, you know, a lot younger than me who, who had first coming out of university and things like this. So I was feeling, uh, was I cut up to it? But um, after applying myself for a while, I realized that, you know, I was doing something I enjoyed and um, I was learning specialist knowledge that took me up to the level I was required. So in the end, getting through that intimidating feeling, it was, it was rewarding. 
Well, one thing that was happening while I was doing my PhD was I really didn't know whether I was going to go into industry or academia. And a lot of people uh, who were in academia were telling me that it was probably too late to catch that bus because in the UK, obviously, most students, when they start their PhDs, are 21. And I was actually 30 by the time I started. And so people thought it would be unlikely that um, I could uh, pick up on that career. But uh, being headstrong, I carried on. Uh, you know, once I made the commitment, I thought, well, you've got to carry on in this way. What really made me make the decision was actually getting offered a job by the company, which is now known as Devartis. And, uh, you know, when I had that offer concrete in my hand, it made me realize that I really wanted to do academia, even though I didn't have an offer at the time. So it just increased my commitment towards trying to get an academic job. Given my situation, I just knew I had to be ambitious. And I needed to apply for the best uh, people in the area that I was interested in. Just people I thought uh, I would enjoy working for, areas that I was interested in. I didn't worry about whether they were internationally famous or local or whatever and just applied for them. So once you've got a letter written with introduction and asking to work for people, you can send it off to as many people as you like, I guess, and uh, which I did. Even if you don't feel confident, you really do have to take it on the chin and apply for as many places as you can. And you will, by the nature of things, get a lot of rejections. But that's the nature. You know, you just have to carry on going and hope for the best. And as long as you get the one positive outcome, that, that's all that matters. And, I, you know, I kept that kind of perspective on it while I was doing it. And, you know, I had a number of, of, of replies. And uh, one of them uh, who, who responded was, positively was um, a recent Nobel Prize winner at that time, Jean-Marie Lane in Strasbourg. So I uh, jumped at the opportunity to start looking at uh, applying for a fellowship to work with him. After a year in Strasbourg, my fellowship uh, was coming to an end and Jean-Marie did offer me uh, a, a contract for a year or two. But by that time, I had a couple of papers accepted. So, uh, you know, I accomplished what I wanted to from Strasbourg. Uh, for various personal reasons, I wanted to come back into the UK as soon as possible, including my career. And so I started looking around for, for jobs in, in the UK. And I was lucky enough to be offered a, a job here in, in Sheffield. After a year of postdoc in, I um, started applying for longer term fellowships where I could do my own work. And I was lucky enough to get um, a prestigious uh, Royal Society uh, University Research Fellowship. So these URS allow you uh, five to ten years to start a research career. Um, and obviously, as the name implies, it's entirely dedicated to research. But I chose voluntary to do quite a large timetable of teaching. The reason being that, first of all, uh, it, it, it's a bit of a recruitment exercise in the sense that the students get to know you as a person. They know what type of research you're doing from the, the courses that you deliver. And also, uh, on another scale, you produce a lot of goodwill amongst the department with your colleagues because obviously it shows you're a good citizen and you're prepared to uh, get your feet wet and work hard. Around this time, I was also doing quite a lot of uh, science communication work. So, for instance, I had a uh, British Association fellowship where I worked uh, on the news desk of new scientists for three or four months. Um, I think it's a really useful thing to do because it hones your communication skills, not just generally for the public. It helps you when you're writing uh, proposals and uh, technical papers because, you know, it makes you write in a way that's interesting and those kind of skills are always useful for for any type of communication
if I'm looking back at my career, I think the, the two things that, that you you have to uh, have in spades if you want to be academic is one thing, you've got to be creative. And that means that, you know, when you get to the next step, perhaps applying for a postdoc, you've got to show you're creative to, to perspective uh, academics, you come up with ideas and, and pitch them towards them. And obviously, if you do become uh, leading a lab, you really do have to come up with ideas then. So you might as well start up early. The other thing is, I think... As a successful academic, you have to get used to rejection because if you look at um, uh, sending papers in or putting in proposals, if you're going for the top journals and you're going for research funding, success rates are like around 20%, if that. And if you can take that on the chin, metaphorically kick the cat and then metaphorically kick the cat and then go on with it, then that's fine. I think you'll succeed. 